Why don't you guys run some more slides and just keep making him awkward for a while? That'd be awesome. We were laughing in the back. It's just, it's great when you watch the, the, the pastor up there going, I can't, because it just makes everybody feel like, good, I'm glad that happens to you, uh, rather than just telling us what to do all the time. That's great. Hey, it is good to see you. I'm grateful to be here. And just as Jeff said a moment ago, I want to think with you about, um, I want to think with you about something that I wish Jesus would never have said. When you go through this uh, New Testament and your teachings of Jesus, you can read things that you think, oh, I just don't like that. I don't like when Jesus says things like, hey, if you want to follow me, then take up your cross and follow me. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So pretty tough standards. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. How many of you just enjoy that phrase right there? It's like, oh, yes, I find great comfort there, right? No, yeah. It's hard. There are things that we look at and we don't like. One of them is this, where Jesus says to us, he says, don't worry. Well, I, I, I think that's nice to say, thank you very much, but I, I seem to not be able to help myself when it comes to worry. I don't know about you, but it seems to be sort of just native, instinctive, intuitive to me to just kind of worry about stuff. Jesus says this. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, I know. I know each day has trouble of its own. In fact, I, I, nobody really here wants to worry. We just, we get consumed. We start borrowing problems from the future, and we just import them into today. And we kind of lean into them and think, oh, man, that's coming, that's coming, that's coming, right? As opposed to just saying, look, what I have is today. We somehow think that if we do enough worry in preparation for the inevitable, whatever it is, that by the time it comes, uh, I don't know, we'll have... What, peace of mind when we get there? I, it does, that's the thing about worry. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense because uh, it's just energy and focus in a direction that, that really is, is taking your attention off of living and life. In a sense, when we worry, it's sort of a form of prayer and meditation, isn't it? It's a form of focus. And so Jesus says, listen, don't, don't worry. Tomorrow has enough trouble. But we look for something that can just bear the weight of this life, don't we? Because what, is, what can, who can bear the weight of this life? We try to tie ourselves to things that will relieve us. Give us confidence so we won't worry and strength so we won't worry and fret. The um, last week was Easter, of course. And my um, my father-in-law grew up in a little church. This is just over, uh, kind of in Cerritos, Artesia area. And every year at the church, they used to do a little Easter production. The whole church—it was a small church—and so everyone would have a part. The pastor uh, this particular year played the part of Jesus at the Easter production, which you talk about a Messiah complex, I guess that's it right there, right? 
So the pastor is playing the part of Jesus. Of course, the uh, elder board there at the church, they would be the Roman guards, right? And you could do the math from there. You had uh, children, you know, waving uh, uh, palm branches and so on, and, and, you know, adult choir and dressed in robes as angels. And you have this whole scene in this Easter production. People have invited the community. They've invited friends and family. They have decorated this little church uh, in, in a way that for them was over the top. There is construction paper and special lights have been rented and, and, and seats have been you know, uh, marked off and reserved for family. And as people enter in, the production begins. They'd hired musicians. They hired a live donkey for this particular uh, uh, production that pooped on the stage for what it's worth. Right, exactly. Uh, so the, the story... Uh, of Easter unfolds all the way from Good Friday, and the, they were going to just tell the story. The pastor uh, at some point comes in. The choir now has gotten built up to a crescendo. You can imagine a group of people singing their hearts out, just, just you know, de declaring the greatness of God over the over this congregation who's you know probably going. Wow, this is, and, they're the, and they've got the musicians and the donkeys and, and here the, and the pastor then comes down the aisle as Jesus and he's got the cross on his back. Here he comes, walking down the aisle, cross on his back, the elders, the Roman guards just beating the pastor, just beating him, right? <laughs> he brings that cross to the stage and they act like they crucify him to the cross they tie his hands, head and feet, so that, you know, when the cross is elevated, he won't fall off. They elevate the cross, and the choir is singing, ho, 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 ho. The pastor is on the cross. The cross is in its little stand. The music goes silent in a moment of drama as they prepare for Jesus to expire. And the base of the cross gives way. Oh, yes. And the pastor, on his way down, over the entire congregation, yells, Help me, Jesus! <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that because <laughs> that is so true, right? We do the same thing. We tie ourselves to, to whatever it is that we think is going to give us strength, that's going to be secure. That's going to put us in a position, really, of aligning with Christ, we think, we hope. We get tied to those things. They let us down. They disappoint. We're on our way down, and we yell, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus, don't we? So where do we look, then, for our worry? I mean, as an answer to that. Because certainly, I don't think any of us in this room could bear the weight of our own life. Or we look outside of ourselves so much, right? David, in Psalm 8, talks about the power of God. I think it's helpful to talk, think about the power of God when we talk about the things that we worry about. Jesus will say again in Luke chapter 12, he'll say, listen, consider the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. They don't labor or spin. God cares for them. God protects them. And if God can protect them, the simple things in this world, how much more can God protect you, provide for you? It's a good question. You know, when you think about the ability of God to provide, it is pretty staggering. I think the, um, 
one of the great strengths that we have is our ability to consider ideas and realities. We have options. And one of the great options that we're given uh, is to choose a relationship with this God who loves us, who created us. This God who's powerful, this God who recognizes that we have a tendency to worry and tie ourselves to things that would give way. Look at that power. David writes in Psalm chapter 8, he's thinking about God, God's power, God's magnificence. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your, your name. It fills the earth. David has spent a lot of time out in the field. He spent a lot of time under the stars looking at the, looking at the beauty of creation. In the daytime, he looks at the landscape and the different animals that are running around. He's trying to, he's beginning uh, some statements here about what he sees and trying to express the glory of God and the provision of God just in the way of nature even. And he says, uh, your glory is, is in all the earth. It fills the earth. In other words, everywhere I look, I can see your glory, your provision, your presence. I can see it. That's interesting. How does David know anyway? How does he know? I mean, David, who is raised essentially in the hills of Palestine, how does he know about the rainforest in Brazil? How does he know about the coral reefs off of Australia? How does David know about the, uh, the, the lions and the giraffes and the zebras on the Serengeti plain? How does he know that? How does he know about glaciers falling into the ocean up in uh, the South Pole or down in the South Pole or the North Pole? How does he know that? How does he know that Yosemite Valley exists? How does he know? He doesn't. He doesn't. He's saying, even based on what I can see, I can see that God's name is everywhere. There's something about having your name everywhere, by the way. Did you realize that? The more prevalent your name is, the more powerful you are. Think about it like this. If you talk to somebody and they're wearing their name on their shirt, uh, you know, they're probably a person that's going to be serving you face-to-face -face directly. Uh, if you get promoted from wearing the name on the shirt, you know, typically you'll get uh, your name on a desk. You'll be a little further away from your name. And then if you get promoted beyond that, you sit a little further back, and, and maybe, maybe it'll be on the office door. But there's another guy, because you haven't arrived yet, because even after the office door, there's some other dude who owns the building that you're in, and his name's on the building. And the stationery. And it goes worldwide. What is that? That is... There is a point at which a name becomes dominant. It's not about me. It's about God, the God that I serve. David's seeing it. He's saying, I see your name in all of the earth, everywhere I look. Your name, your presence is dominant in and through and among the work of creation. It's amazing. And so he goes on. He says, uh, your glory is higher than the heavens. And when he says higher than the heavens, he uses the plural for heavens. Now, 
what does that imply? I, well, he's probably trying to think, well, I can see what I can see, sure. But then even beyond what I can see, there's, there's probably infinitely more. He's just supposing this, and he's right. You think about the power of God, the work of God in nature, in creation, in the sustaining of the universe itself. Consider that. David says, I consider the heavens, the work of your hands. Why does he use the word heavens? Why multidimensional? He's trying to put his, his own head around it. Can you imagine David trying to consider just the Big Dipper? Well, it just looks like a few, you know, lights scattered in the sky and having no ability to really comprehend or understand the structure, the, the, the systems of, of the universe. He probably knew how to identify, you know, patterns of stars and so on in the sky. But things like we may be aware of now, like if you held a dime at arm's distance, you would be blocking 15 million stars from your view. That's the kind of power that God creates with. This power is, is so great in the universe that the universe is the only thing that a scale model cannot be, that cannot be replicated. In other words, if you took a one-inch ball and you let that represent the Earth, the nearest star to that one-inch ball would be literally 40,000 miles away. And then you're just beginning. Astronomers will tell us the number of stars in the sky outnumber all of the grains of sand on every beach in the entire world. Can we begin to get our heads around a God like that? Heavens. I see your name in earth. I see your, I consider the heavens the work of your hand. It's absolutely unbelievable. David is, David is sort of blown away by this. Seeing the work of God in creation. Now, if this is lost on you, I just want to give you some perspective. Think, well, this is not, I mean, I, I, I get it. Let's just talk about something ordinary that we can all understand in terms of creation and how sophisticated and intricate and wonderful and and powerful and creative it is. Let's just think about for a, think for a moment about the common housefly. Can we do that? Let me tell you some things about the housefly. The housefly is the most aerodynamically sophisticated flying creation in the world. This is true. More than a bee, more than a bird, more than a bat, more than an eagle, more than anything. The housefly. And you're, you and I are walking around our kitchen doing that, you know, magical dance where we're trying to, right, I get it, I get it. That's part of what their role in creation is, is to make people do the magic dance, the fly swatting dance. We all do it. But a housefly can fly up, uh, uh, upside down, backwards, forwards. It can land upside down. Two-thirds of its energy, its, its energy is used toward processing visual information. Isn't that amazing? It's got sensors on its skin that can detect the motion of wind. This is an extraordinary creation just in and of itself. It's the housefly. It can change directions six times per second. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I'm kind of describing to you a junior high kid with wings, aren't I? I know. Right? This is just the housefly. David's saying, oh, your name and all of the earth, everywhere I look, I see it. It's labeled over everything. In 
In the heavens I look and it's more vast than I could possibly imagine. What kind of power? Here's the thing. He says, you have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. What is he saying? He's saying that with every cry of every baby, with the babbling of every toddler, the glory of God is made known. We worry about so much. We worry about evil. We worry about disappointment. We have fear that we are not enough, that we won't amount to anything. We believe lies. We know that darkness is real, and yet we struggle trusting that God is good and that there is hope and life and light and strength. We get caught in the vortex of our own worry, and it just takes us out. And David says, your name is powerful. It's everywhere. It's magnificent. Think about that. It's just present in creation. The power of that. And, David says, even as infants cry, even as toddlers, they babble, it speaks to silence your enemies. What, is the, what are the enemies of God? What is the enemy of God? Darkness, evil, destruction. That's it. What are the things that we worry about typically? Darkness, evil, destruction. Oh, yeah, that's right. And through infants and toddlers, every time they speak, what they speak to and speak from, of course, is life. The ongoing, renewing work of God in creation. In other words, creation hasn't just stopped. It continues to find life and strength in literally in new ways and in spiritual ways as well. And David's saying every time a newborn cries, I see it again. I see how God, God's work, God's kindness, God's agenda prevails. Darkness can't stop it. David's considering these things. He, he goes on to say, when I look at the, the night sky, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them? David's looked outside to the heavens. He's looked to the things of, of earth. And here he sort of turns it in. He turns it another direction. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. You know, we tend to want to look outside for demonstrations of God's power, for demonstrations of the greatness of the universe. And we do. We did. But there's a whole other kind of world, isn't there? It's in this direction. It's in this direction. It's in our hearts. It's in our minds. And that's a world that, frankly, is even more unfathomable than saying unfathomable, right? It's more unfathomable. Fathom, it, it's bigger than, it's hard to understand. It's really difficult. It's kind of complex. But it, than, than the entire universe, right? Right here in your heart, in your mind. You ever catch yourself saying, I don't know why I think these things. I don't know why I worry about these things. I don't know why I'm drawn to such darkness. You ever find yourself thinking about that? Yeah. Or living in disappointment and thinking, well, there's got to be a way out, and then you get more disappointed, you kind of get buried in that disappointment, yeah? 
David says there's a whole universe this direction, right? Who are, who's, who are mere mortals that you're mindful of them? We can't seem to figure out, you know, ourselves. And yet, David says, God, you remember us. Even though we can't figure things out, not only are you in control of the entire universe, you set it up, you put it into flight, and you sustain it, but you know us. You know us individually. You, you are mindful of us. It goes on to say, you made humanity a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. This is amazing. David's saying, this great God, whose name is on every part of creation, considers his creation, you and I, the high point of all of his work and, David says, He says, you crowned us with glory and honor. Does it feel like that to you? Does it feel like you've been crowned with glory and honor? And when you turn on the evening news, does it appear that that's the case? That people have just been crowned with glory and honor? Does it feel like the world, in the condition that we're in, the way that we live, and the people that you kind of walk alongside life with, and you yourself, does it appear that you have been crowned with glory and honor? If that's true, then I wonder why every so often they find a baby in a trash can. I wonder why there's so much gossip. I wonder why there's such a, 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 a drivenness toward power and what we can achieve or take. I wonder why we tie ourselves to so many things that don't matter and are going to disappoint and let us down. Things that we think bear the weight of this life and they give way. Why do we do it? Why? Good question. Because we have been crowned with glory and honor. You think about David's words here. He's, he's pushing toward, thinking toward the greatness of God, God's power, God's ability to sustain and provide. And he speaks in that to some of the things that we worry about. David says, uh, you gave... Uh, your creation, your people, charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks, the herds, and all of the animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, everything that swims in the ocean, it swims in the currents. And then he says, uh, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, it fills the earth. It's good. I think in David's words, there's great hope and peace and power for us. You know, you might be here this morning thinking about things that um, are beyond your control, your ability to control. You might have family issues. You might be caring for a child that has disabilities. Maybe you've been recently unemployed, or maybe you've been unemployed for a while and looking for the next step for a long time. It could be that your marriage is in a place that is just going sideways and you don't really know, you know what to do or where to go. 
And some of you are so bound up with things in your life that you cannot escape. And you wish you could. You're sitting here right now thinking about this week and that thing that will bind you up and you're actually making plans about how you're going to do that. And we wonder why we're worried. And we wonder why we don't focus on God's power and God's strength and the extraordinary capacity that he has to sustain and provide. I don't know. We want to get caught up in ourselves. <laughs> right? Don't do it. Don't do it. I want to invite you to relax. Seriously. Just relax, would you? I, I think maybe the most, the best description I have ever heard of Jesus is that. Dallas Willard said, in a conference, people are asking him questions. A question came from the audience. How would you describe Jesus? Very quickly, he said, he was relaxed. Oh, that's so good, right? Yes, he was. And you can see, you can see this kind of just flowing through his life all the time. There's never anxiety. There's never this sense of being driven by fear or by any other kind of need than to pursue God's agenda for his life. That was it. He was relaxed. And in that life, we find such beauty and strength. We find such wholeness. We find redemption. We find promise. Because what we know about Jesus, that's true, is that because Jesus came, it means that God loves us, that God has not forgotten us. This God who is mindful of humanity, David says, he's come to be with us. And there's something about being mindful. There's something about listening and paying attention and being aware, right? Knowing what the needs are and how to respond. And God knows that. I was talking to Jeff earlier this week. And on the phone, he was reminding me about a time when my daughter, uh, Madison, my oldest, I have three girls. My oldest daughter, Madison, uh, she's uh, studying abroad in Croatia right now. And as she was preparing to uh, leave on her trip, in fact, she was underway, uh, I knew that uh, she may be calling me, you know, if she had trouble or whatnot. So I would leave my phone on, you know, even at night, you know, all the way through. So my phone rings at about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I sort of, you know, come to and, and I, I, I look at the phone and it's, it's Madison's number. Ordinarily, my phone wouldn't have been on <laughs> if it's the middle of the night. I uh, probably would think somebody's got the wrong number, but this is my daughter. So I answered the phone. And she said, hi, Dad, I'm stuck at this place, and I need to, and she, there she was. But I was ready for that call. Why? Because I'm infinitely concerned about my daughter and her well-being. I want to show up any way I can for her, make myself available to her. This is what Jesus does when he comes among us, to us. 
It's God saying, I see you. I see you. I see you in your worry. I see you in your frustration. I see you in your striving and your disappointment and your weakness and your brokenness. I see it. I see it. And you need to know this about your brokenness, about your frailty, about your weakness, about your worry, about things that dominate the landscape of your life. Know this. It just shows you who you are and it shows you what you need. And who you are is limited. And what you need is something that can bear the weight, someone that can bear the weight of your life. And so do I. And that's who we have in Jesus. Jesus enters this world and calls to us in the darkness. He just calls out to us in the darkness. Listen to this. Jesus says this to his friends that are worrying. Remember the, what we talked about? Creation. The greatness of creation. Jesus says. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus says, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is about more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. God feeds them, and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a thing like that, what's the use of worrying about bigger things? Look at the lilies, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the flowers that are healthy and here today and then thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Another thing that I wish Jesus didn't say right there. Don't be concerned about what to eat or drink. Don't worry about such things. God knows your needs. Seek the kingdom above all else, and he'll give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, my, folk, my friends. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Where's that kingdom? That's life under God's authority, God's rule. The God who made the whole world and everything in it. The God who created you, crowned you with glory and honor. That God. That God who set the world into motion and provides power to it. Who sees it and comes and embraces it as it is. As you are. With my worry and my frustration and my fear, I come to him and say, All right. I, I'm plenty scared, God. I'm terrified but I'll trust you. I'll trust you with my life and my decisions and my future. And you know what I would say to you? I would say the most powerful experience you will ever have with God is this. It's not recognizing his power in creation. It's not, you know, looking at uh, Easter, Good Friday, saying, oh, the cross, it was such a... It's not Easter, the resurrection. 
It's not the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's not, we can look at all those huge markers and say, wow, those, that sure tells me a lot about God's love and the, how he pursues us. The most powerful experience you'll have with God is when you come to know him personally. That's it. And, and usually that's in a place where you come to an awareness that, yeah, I, I can't bear the weight of my own life anymore. Some of you do that, might do that today for the first time. Others of you, it's just been a long time. And you start have, you started leaning back into yourself, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> right? And you say, oh, hey, God, that's right. I'm in. I'm going to lean into you. I know you're present in my darkness. I know you're calling my name. I know. I know. And it's going to bring comfort to my soul to say yes to you. My daughter, Katie, she's a dancer. They have a dance competition at the Barclay Theater in Irvine. In between numbers, it's kind of a professional show. And in between the, the dance numbers, there's dancing all day. It's like a four-hour show. Oh, thank you, right. It's a four-hour show of dancing. Katie's 15, uh, 15 years old. And uh, during each dance, the lights go down and the place is pitch black. I have a program. I got my cell phone. I'm looking at the program. I know one of Katie's dances is coming up, and it's one that she's been really nervous about. You're not supposed to say anything at the dance competition. It's a really formal event. It's how parents can act like the opera crowd, I guess. I don't know. But we're all there in shorts and flip-flops, and everybody's supposed to act like we're at a, you know, the Kennedy Center or whatever. Ooh. The lights go down. Katie's next. I hear footsteps on the stage. The curtain's down. The curtain goes down. Lights are still down. Darkness. She's alone. People watching. I'm such an idiot. From my seat. Go, Katie! <laughs> Over the darkness, her name. In front of all of this anxiety, her name. Her dad, her name. Ah, it doesn't matter. I know where I am. I'm home. I'm in the presence of my dad. That's what God does, sees us, the darkness. What's your name? Bill! Go, Bill! Carrie, come on, go, Carrie! God's life, God's light, God's voice to you. His name is in all of the earth. His name is above the heavens, in all of creation. We worry so much. Jesus, why do you say not to worry? Because God knows your name. You can't bear the weight of your life. God knows it. God comes. God calls your name. He says, follow me. Come on, follow me. Don't you, don't you love a God who loves like that? Me too. Me too. Father, thank you for your kindness toward us. The way that you remember and sustain and bring life and peace and strength. 
quiet our hearts. Where we feel anxiety, God, we invite your presence into that place. We confess that our capacity is limited. We recognize who we are, weak. We see what we need, strength, comfort, provision. So we take a short look at the things that we are worried about. We take a long look at your power, your grace, your love. and your desire for us to be free. And we thank you for your kindness and your love for us today. Hello, can you hear me now? Let's stand and sing together. If you need prayer, there's people in the front that are more than happy to pray for you. You can write your prayer on the prayer wall. Let's sing together. 